Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Recently, I had the pleasure of doing a remote interview with Brock Tinsley and Ian Nichols from Double Experience. I've known Brock and Ian for quite a while, and I've watched them steadily establish themselves as they've built their careers in the music business. Not only are they fantastic musicians, but they're great guys, and we had a really interesting chat. So, let's listen in on my talk with Brock Tinsley and Ian Nichols from Double Experience. Welcome to the Stewie Tune Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your host, Tony Stewart. Okay, I'm here with Brock Tinsley and Ian Nichols from Double Experience. Hi guys, thanks for joining me today. This is really awesome that you're doing this. Thanks for having us. Yeah, awesome. So uh, I guess, you know, maybe we should just deal with the elephant in the room first and talk about how you're doing because I know uh, you guys were pretty busy and uh, all of a sudden it's full stop. So maybe you want to just talk about that, like what you're up to right before uh, the pandemic hit and then uh, how you're coping now. We might as well just deal with that now and get it over with. Sure. So we, uh, for the last year and a half, two years almost Brock and I've been working on a record and all of that work has been culminating or was culminating to this spring um, and you know when the pandemic hit we were in the last stages of releasing the the third and final single of our record alignments um, and then of course everything shut down I'm pretty sure it came out like the week before the big shutdown happened so it was uh, thankfully we got it off but you know uh, everything else that we we were doing related to that record has uh, it didn't hit a hard stop. It just had a big tilt on terms in terms of what we wanted to do and how we were doing things. So, um, you know, it, it's still been business as usual for us, just in a different way. Uh, a musician's uh, life is, is never um, bored. You know, we, we can write songs or we can create, uh, you know, marketing ideas or, or just uh, things like that. So we, we've kind of had to pivot on what we were doing internally outside of the record release, but also, you know, in what we were doing with the record release. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Brock, did you guys have, uh, you, you guys had a pretty full uh, performing schedule too, I guess, eh? What, right before this hit? Yeah, I mean, not, not just at the um, usual clubs and bars and, and for us, you know, nerd and comic conventions where our band tends to thrive. But um, one of the big, yeah, difficulties was um, the school program is still near and dear to the, the hearts of Ian and I. So, of course because there's uh, closed bars and, and, and all those like public gatherings, schools are also hit, you know, and, and they were getting hit with um, slashed uh, funding and everything else. So it's, it's really kind of been difficult for maybe our, our band specifically where the, the two areas we would t- tend to focus on building that schedule have both sort of um, hit big obstacles that, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know if the schools are any closer to figuring out um, the, the, the new day to day, you know? Yeah. We're, uh, you know, from a school teacher's point of view here, I have no idea. We're still waiting to hear. I don't know what my uh, music program is going to look like in September. So we'll see, but uh, all right. It's been interesting for sure. So I'd like to, because I've known you guys for uh, quite a long time and full disclosure to listeners, uh, I have had uh, Brock and Ian in for the school program on several occasions and it's been great. Um, but let's give everybody a little bit of history and background for you guys. So, you know, how you met, um, when you made the decision that 
this is it. Your, you know, music's going to be your life, your careers. Why don't you uh, just talk about that for a little while? I, I would say that for me, like to, to maybe just unpack that bit by bit, how Ian and I met was uh, we were in two different bands, but um, it was sort of the thing where we like, like doing show swaps. Um, I, I came from Brockville. Ian grew up in the Ottawa area and that's where our bands were operating under. So that, that's really short drive and a good way for bands to kind of like gradually expand the perimeter. So we just got along really well. And when it came time to like, um, you know, at, at, at a certain point it became like each of our bands were missing the members that would complete the other. And in so many ways, it was like Ian and his drummer kind of joined the, the outfit that would eventually become Double Experience. But um, that was... Double Experience formed in 2014, but Ian and I have been playing music since 2011. Okay. And Ian, do you have anything else you want to add to that about? Uh... Yeah, you know, it, it, was, it was just community-based. And I think Brock and I, when we would play shows together, we were on the same page on a lot of things. And, and it just, I mean, apart from the members themselves, just the personalities made sense to, you know, create music together. And it's been a beautiful journey ever since. Yeah, because you guys have been together for a long time. I was thinking back to uh, how young you were the first time I had you in at the school. Like that, that's pretty wild. So, okay, great. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit, bit more about those uh, school shows? Because that, that was a really interesting experience. Every time I've had you in, I've always been interested in what you guys have to say about uh, the music business and um, you know what you guys talk about during those shows. So if, do you want to uh, address that a little bit for me? Um the school program was something um, kind of that launched in like 2009 or 10. Um, and that was right ex- exactly when I was finishing high school and talking to my parents, you know, it was basically like, I want to be in a band. And then they said, being in a band isn't a real job. And if you could prove to us that it is, maybe we would actually kind of, you know, see through some, you know, some more support than a pat on the head kind of thing. So um, by having to like, basically draw up a business plan that explained to them, you know, how it wasn't just, you know, some pipe dream, but something that I I believe could have been a a career. That was the whole foundation of, um, man, just thinking a a lot of kids should at least be armed with this, whether they, you know, I'm not saying everyone should be a musician, but if those who want to, it, sometimes you need more than that gut feeling or that, and it might be a strong feeling, but yeah, I had to learn that that's, that's not enough to maybe um, make believers out of other people too. So that was, yeah, starting in 2010, we, we then booked um, our cross Canada tours on the simple fact that, you know, what, what are we going to do for, if we're playing bars at nighttime, like we were wasting a whole other day. So by kind of joining those two ideas together, we could do schools in the day shows at night and do a lot of our, our learning really quickly. So those early years of doing the school program by day and shows by night, you know, lifting your own gear four times a day. That was like, it jump started a lot of the hard learning that, uh, I mean, and, and Ian has always like, kind of, he, he kind of coined the phrase of like every lesson you learn in the music industry is usually an expensive one. And sometimes those are human costs. Sometimes those are just real money. So, um, I, I as we kept doing, you know, like balancing these two areas, we just realized that we like we ourselves were learning so much that we um yeah it was it was invaluable to us to to you know like make that a part of our identity i guess 
Yeah, I remember uh, when I think I, like it was right around 2010 when I first had you guys in too. And I remember helping you guys unload Graham's station wagon there. And <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So, um, so now uh, that's one thing, uh, you know, that I also wanted to talk to you about because people, you always get that answer, right? Well, what's your real job going to be when you're a musician? But, uh, you know, uh, Ian, do you want to talk about maybe all the parts of how you guys have made a job out of this? Because uh, that's always been, for me, uh, what I was most impressed with is how hard you guys work and um, how you've managed to take all these different things and forge a career path out of it. So I'll let you talk about that for a little while. Sure. I mean, Brock and I, you know, I mean, colloquially between us, we've always said we're, we're in the empire business, if, if you will. And, and for us, that meant being in control of our destiny um, as musical entrepreneurs. I think for a long time, we said we were businessmen who played music, not necessarily musicians. And um, depending on what hat we're wearing on a certain day, you might get a different answer to the same question. But, um, you know, yeah, like Brock and I, we, we work together as musicians in a band called Double Experience. Um, Brock's got a company called Colfax that we both work at. Um, and what Colfax is, is like a music label and management company. So um, on that side of things, we deal with uh, management consulting. So working with artists on um, like record releases, song releases, um, you know, so we'll go, hey, what's the plan for this song? And take it from well, we have a finished copy to now it's out, now it's been recorded and, and, and out on um, Spotify and what's the plan to get from step A to step release. Um, and that's been a big thing. Um, of course, being a musician, right? We, we write songs, Brock and I have kind of been in charge of a song a week as creators. So at the end of the year, hopefully we've got a hundred songs to choose from for moving forward on a next record. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've done the live touring thing. I think Brock and I together have been playing. I think we've played over a thousand shows, something like that, 700, a thousand, depending on, uh, you know, how we count maybe some summer gigs, things like that. Um, and then, you know, we've toured the world and that's been amazing. You know, we've, we've been to 17 plus countries. I think at this point we've lost track. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been an incredible journey. I think all of those come together because that's really important, right? It comes down to, it's not like you go to, the bank and you get a banker's salary and that's kind of it for musicians it's is there songs on the radio is there um streaming coming in are you playing live and i think we looked at that very early on and said well if we're going to do this full time we need to take advantage of all the things that are gonna you know keep the the heat on the air conditioning going and and everything in between it's almost like one of those things where and, and to ian's point of these like multiple income streams most of them are passive but they require a fair amount of work to get started. Like you can't just automatically be getting the the Spotify plays or the radio plays that you need. But once they do start coming, it they're they're good to maybe alleviate some some gaps where you know a p- pandemics hit. Yeah, that's right. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, now in the days of streaming, I mean, you really can't rely on it like like in the old days on album sales for you know head to the studio cut an album and and you know just tour to support the album those days are are pretty gone so um where uh, give me maybe a tour highlight from each of you uh, something that you know was your favorite moment on tour or maybe someone you met on tour that really stood out for you so I mean, uh, yeah it, go ahead i i think fairly recently and i hope i, I don't i don't take ian's answer from this because um for for me like every time we get to see a new place, like it's usually a place I would have never 
thought I would be in. Like, like I have no reason to be in Poland, even if I was like a, like a, like a backpacker, like, you know, some people may, maybe would fly into a big popular European city and then they would take from, you know, the airport to the hotel, to the hotel, to the tourist traps, and then they leave. But Ian and I really get to see the back roads, you know, the parts of town that uh, tourists wouldn't be caught dead in. And then because of that meeting, all the people that we've met on these tours is something that like has like changed me profoundly because it isn't just this like surface level. Oh, we've, Ian and I have been to 17 countries. Like we have, you know, had to argue about parking and getting paid by promoters and, and all this stuff. And, you know, it's like, we're, we're, we're working on a different dictionary of, um, you know, tourist terms to, to the local language. So yeah, for me, like, and that recent European tour we did with, um, we were supporting two bands that was like, again, going back to this learning, a lot of learning quickly. That was like our really first, you know, experience with, um, you know, a, a sort of like a, a side of the industry that had uh, eluded us because yeah, most of the tours up until the 2018 Europe tour were our own headliners, just forging a, a path on our own. And this was supporting, uh, you know, a well, a well-established act and all the trimmings that go with that. Oh, cool. All right, Ian, what about you? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think, as a kid, my dad used to travel a lot for work. And uh, his his thing, you know, he'd go to Dallas or he'd go to Florida or he'd be in Copenhagen, something like that, right? And he would come back and I'd always be like, you know, seven, eight-year-old kid just being like, hey, dad, like what what was it like? And he would say, you know, the airport hotel was great, thank you. And then that was basically all he saw. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think, you know, to, to build on on what Brock was saying, you know, like we we have been truly blessed i guess to just be able to see um cities towns from the eye view of people who are there you know when when we show up at any venue you know typically we'll try and sync up with the local bands and we'll say hey is there a good place to eat is there you know what should we see if we're in your town for two hours and um you know i i think i think that's you can't put a price on that. You know, I mean, we've had some amazing experiences. We drove through the Alps in the middle of winter and and that was something unbelievable. You know, we drove through the Spanish desert in the middle of a heat wave in July. And that was with no water for, for any, you know, paying 20 euro for a, a thing of water. You know, we've, we've, we've seen the elements, we've seen, you know, open air festivals to, you know, tens of thousands of people and, um, you know, the, the broom closets in between. And, and I think, you know, every single one of those moments has been priceless. And um, I think when, when you get to a level in a career like us, when we've done so many shows, it, it really is hard to pick something out as like the defining moment. But I think every single one of those things has kind of added up to, to just one of the reasons we love going on the road is because it's something new every single day. Oh, excellent. Well, this looks like a good time for me to uh, put a break in. So uh, we'll take a pause and we'll be right back with Double Experience, uh, Brock Tinsley and Ian Nichols. So let's uh, take our music history moment. Let's go back in time all the way to June 29th, 1956. On June 29th, 1956, Elvis Presley appeared on the Steve Allen show singing his hit song, Hound Dog. A month earlier, Elvis had sang the same song on the Milton Berle show and that performance generated controversy due to his movements on stage. The producers of the Steve Allen show wanted to avoid similar complaints, so they had Elvis dress in a tuxedo and sing the same song to a hound dog who was sitting on a stool. Elvis was mortified during this live TV appearance 
and couldn't wait to be finished. And now, let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back with Brock Tinsley and Ian Nichols from Double Experience. Um, I love your tagline on Facebook, uh, Nerdy Rock from the 613. That's the best. Um, So I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, that, uh, because I know you do have some association with video games. Uh, I'll let you talk about that and uh, the Halo thing and all that stuff, because that's really cool. So whoever wants to go first, uh, go ahead. Well, so um, going back to like the lessons we learned, I mean, one of them um, was people don't care when you lead with, we're the best band you've never heard. Like, I think there's like a million bands with that current tagline. And we were, after doing the first recording, Ian and I did uh, an EP called One Big Quicksand, we, we met a manager type. And he was like, I listened to your whole EP and like, I don't get it. Like, I don't know what you are. And in trying to get to know us, you know, he was like, 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 what do you guys do? And we were like, oh, we, we played Diablo like 18 <laughs> hours a day. And we were actually playing before we came to this meeting. And he's like, you guys just sound like dorks. And then we all at the table, we kind of the thought, it's like, I wonder what like a band who like, who just exclusively had that worldview would sound like. And we were all just like that, just that meeting rocked my world. Cause I was like, oh, I don't have to try and convince people we're the best band they've ever heard. I just, have to, I just have to convince them we're the nerdiest band they've heard. And then when I meet that expectation, we can, <laughs> we, we can be that band firmly as opposed to, you know, let, let them decide if it's good or bad later. But I, I can handle making my music nerdy because that's because to Ian and I, that is our truth. Like we're not, you know, going to the club seven nights a week and, you know, like being party animals, like you will find us sitting at home, you know, drinking tea and playing video games like so writing songs in that voice is like so much more authentic to us than like the rock and roll tropes that have been yeah persisting for like you know 40 years right on uh ian maybe i'll get you to talk about the uh the song that you guys wrote for the video game was it was it for diablo or was it for halo i can't remember but it was uh, it was for a video game called um destiny which oh, i mean right, you mentioned right. halo by, by this, the guys who made the original halo i mean okay you know i i remember when like i remember when the uh, the the xbox launch and halo was like the big thing and then you know um they snuck destiny posters into the later halo games to tease what was coming next and um you know when when halo when halo when uh, destiny launched i think brock uh, played a whole lot of it and then he was like dude like you have to play this game like it it's it's changed everything, you know, once again, Bungie changes the game. And uh, so I, I bought a PlayStation. We started playing and I, I fell in love with this game just as much as Brock had. And, um, you know, Brock says 18 hours a day playing Diablo. Well, that turned into 18 hours a day playing uh, <laughs> destiny. So, um, you know, we, we, we fell in love with this game. We fell in love with the environment and the atmosphere and the history that they built into this universe. Um, and so we, we wrote a song called the glimmer shot and through that song um, it reached the destiny community. Um, and uh, you know, it kind of exploded inside the community. It was like our first viral hit. If you, if you want to use that term um, and you know, because of that, we got to go down to a destiny convention in Florida. Um, we did that two years in a row and we played, you know, the song and we had a, a concert there and um we got involved with like a destiny clothing company. And, um, you know, to, to this day, like our, our 
we've since released another Destiny song as well. And to this day, you know, both of those Destiny songs do really well in the community. And, and you know, kind of any time that Brock and I post on community forums, they're like, hey, aren't you guys the, the guys who did the Glimmer Shot? Or aren't you guys the guys who did Oh Listener Mind? So, you know, it, it was an amazing experience to kind of connect with a community that we were like authentically part of. And, um, you know, it's, it's been an amazing ride so far. And I think that's important because it's not like we sit here with like, literally a list of 50 most mm. popular nerdy pop culture things and just write songs about them. It's like, yeah, as I said, this is what we, Ian and I were so genuinely invested into this game that it was like, yeah, when you do an 18 hour session of gaming and then do a, a band practice, like it's on your mind. And then when it's like, Hey, like, like write some lyrics or sing something like you just sing about the video game. So like, yeah, it's, it's, it just happens, you know, like I can't explain it. And was that one of those songs, you know, you always hear stories of songs just coming together uh, so quickly. Like on my episode I just released this morning, I was talking about Jagged Little Pill and uh, Glenn Ballard was talking about half of those songs. I mean, they just whipped out in an hour. And uh, did uh, Glimmer Shot come together really quickly like that? Was it one of those type of songs? It it did. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit I was in the shower when it happened. Um, you know, singing into my loofah and everything else. And just, you know, I, I had this chorus idea and I think I got out of the shower soaking wet and um, I like, I had to just turn on my phone and like recorded the, the, you know, uh, the chorus. And, and then, you know, next thing I knew, I, I just had this idea. And I think within like a day or two, like I had just written some stuff to support the song. And then I sat down with Brock within that week. And I think it was like, it was instant, you know, we, we had this song and we, we, we refined the lyrics and we refined everything, but the, the meat and potatoes of it were there really I, early on. I, I remember that on the record that that song was on, like every other song went through like um, so much second guessing and overthought and, and a lot of like, um, you know, just going around and around trying to make sure, you know, to the point where maybe some of it was like overthought, but I, I do remember Glimmer Shot was the one song where we were like, it, struck it's like it's like it's so simple but like straightforward and yet it's about this really weird like inaccessible and in our opinion you know the topic and then lo and behold it turns out that uh that was the um shortest and simplest path to the hearts and minds of uh nerdy rock fans everywhere well and then and then it was weird because it 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 almost became this self-fulfilling prophecy right like it it did really well on on streaming you know and you could see the numbers on spotify racking up and then all of a sudden you know radio stations who have nothing to do with video games who don't have audiences who are necessarily interested in video games take this video game song because it's the most popular song and now it's on radio waves in Canada and the States and, and overseas and stuff. And it's been, it's, it's kind of funny that this song that we just thought was like a, a love song to this video game that, that, you know, we love somehow resonates with, with so many other people who may or may not even know it. It has something to do with destiny. So that's been kind of like this really cool secondary experience beyond getting to be involved with the, this community that we, owns our minds anyways you know oh excellent um in a minute we're going to be talking about your new album alignments uh, but i wanted to tell you i uh i listened to uh, a bunch of songs from the album and it's going to be great um for anybody who decides to buy that album um i love your videos too and i really like the retro ones i i sent uh, brock a message through instagram uh uh, born for it that video just totally brought me back to high school you know run junior high running home um to turn on uh, much music or, and 
that was hilarious. And I just wanted to tell you, my first ever band trip as a high school music director was to Toronto. And man, that had to be like maybe 98, 99. Like it was that far back. And we toured much music uh, studios in Toronto. And man, the girls thought George Strombolopoulos was the hottest thing. It was hilarious. Like very, very funny. Um, but I love your videos. Uh, especially that one just totally brought me back. It was great. But uh, do you want to talk about alignments and uh, what went into that album and how that people can get that album if they're interested in purchasing? And I'll, I'll let you guys take it over now. We, um, the, it was our first release on uh, the German label Drakkar, who again, we were, we were kind of courting them and talking for them for years because our band really recognized that, you know, it's this catch 22 of like, it's still, we, we still feel like it's um, important to, you know, release music in, in a way that people understand. I mean, you're talking to the band that tried to do music on trading cards and, you know, so uh, it, it was one of those things where we were looking for a label who kind of understood that um, we're weird, but we don't want to necessarily reinvent the wheel if they know how to make things go fast. So Drakkar was super, um, I just allowed us to be like, make the record you want and we'll release it in, in a way that it does something new. And the alignments concept, which the long story short is, it's just like a nerd horoscope, you know, but it's, it's based in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we, we have this ability to, yeah, chop the album in three because there's, you know, the good, neutral, and, and evil axis of, of the alignment system. And it, it was really just sort of like a way for us to kind of bridge the gap between the old industry and what we felt the new industry could be with, you know, more regular releases and, and things like that. So for us, it was a bit of a perfect storm of, we've always wanted to do a, like a conceptual record. Um, Cause we, we, we recognized pretty early that uh, if it's just nine songs on a CD, I mean, again, going back to my point of like, I don't know how to market that, but, but I am, am passionate about how to market something that, um, yeah, is, is for, you know, those in the know kind of thing. And, and that's what alignments represented to us where it's not songs about rolling dice per se, but it's, uh, it, it deals with concepts that would be very familiar to those who play tabletop games. Excellent. Um, for your videos, I have to ask, because I love, like I said, I love the variety in your videos too. You know, AI freaks me out. I mean, that's total max headroom there. Um, so who... Who comes up with those ideas? Who's the more uh, retro of the two of you? Or is it a, is it a kind of uh, dual decision? Like, how do you come up with all those uh, ideas for your videos? Because I love them. They're, they're hilarious. So. I, I would say that the, like, even the Max Headroom video um, was like a, almost like a snap decision. Like, if anything, like, I had this idea for Ian to be like, yo, we should do a, a video where it's like, someone's at a psychiatrist's office and like the, the, the classic psychiatrist chair. And turns out the psychi uh, the guy thinks he's a robot, but the psychiatrist is. And then it just got complicated. And then I, I, I honestly don't know who or how it came up, but it's like, yo, what if Ian just dyed his hair blonde and was Max Headroom? And then we were just like, okay, went to first choice, came yeah. back home, made the video. And, and it, it was like, it, it was it was a very similar thing with uh, with with born for it I, I don't know what the video concept was but we were just like what if we just had like you know the the song has this like youthful element to it. it's like let's just get someone with a tennis racket guitar just like i yeah. learned on and just let them rock out and and just and, and that's the video you know so i, I think 
Ian and I play off each other really well. And we, similar to our songwriting, the videos are always like a process of like just iterating on ideas until we ultimately circle back on, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And, and just, yeah, like, again, Ian and I kind of grew up after the, you know, things of like, where you were saying like the heyday of MTV and the heyday of Max Headroom and, you know, even born after videos like Misery that we parodied. But um, yeah, for us, it's like, but I, I have vivid memories of, yeah, just like being glued to the television and seeing all these reruns. Um, where can people get alignments from? If someone wants to purchase that album, uh, just let us know how to do that. So, I mean, you can go to um, www.2xexperience.com, uh, which is our website. And uh, there's kind of links anywhere in the world, depending on where you are. We've got an online store. And, and if you happen to be international, there's links where you can get them as well. Um, we're on every streaming service. You know, if, if you're a Spotify user, um, which happens to be the, you know, the, the big one in North America, you know, where we're on Spotify, we're basically anywhere that music exists at this point, I think you can, you can get your hands on alignments. Excellent. Um, because you guys have been around for a little while now, um, I wanted to talk to you about what you've seen, what are the, you know, the, the big changes in the music industry since you first started out? Because I think, you know, back probably in 2010, 2009, 2010, was streaming even a thing back then? Had that started yet? So maybe if you want to talk about that. I mean, you know, I, I remember working with Brock early on, you know, and, and I remember like even when, when I started working with him, he'd already been doing the school program. But even then in 2011, 2012, we were going into schools saying, you might not know it yet, but there's this thing called streaming and it's coming. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't own it. You're just going to pay a subscription fee and you'll have all the music in the world. And the, the students and it would just be like, no, like I want a CD. Like why? why would I want to stream anything, you know? Yeah, I, we, we would like bill it as like, think Netflix, but for music and kids were like, that will never work. Yeah. Like no one's yeah. going to do that. And, and yeah, we, I, I wouldn't say we were like, you know, like Nostradamus out here, you know, like prophesizing changes, but we, we definitely kind of saw the writing on the wall and um, we, we've seen the basically, you know, like the audience have to come to grips with something that, I mean, and even now, like Ian and I attend, um, music industry conferences and the, and the things and concepts they talk about, like um, virtual concerts yeah. and, you know, John Mayer's in a green screen soundstage and live casting, you know, to 10 sold out venues, like real venues. And, the, you know, like I, I, I tell those, those stories to people like it's coming and people are like, no one's going to watch like yeah. live streamed concerts and a pandemic hit. And now everyone's like, I'm watching live stream concerts now. So yeah, I think just, it's part of the culture now for sure after this, oh, yeah. especially. Um, excellent. And I wanted to, a uh, couple more things here. Um, are you guys ready to do the Stewie Tunes quiz? Are you ready for this? That's right. Okay. I'm going to pull up the questions here. So uh, who wants to go first? Okay. Okay. Well, lay, lay it, lay it on me. Why, why not? Yeah. You want to go first Ian? Okay. So, okay. uh, We'll do each question like one at a time. You know, I'll ask you and then I'll ask Brock, okay? Okay. So, favorite Beatle. Who's your favorite Beatle? You can George Harrison. And, and why? That's mine too, by the way. Why? So, um, when I was, I first started as a guitar player and um, 
I was, I, I wanted to like, you know, play rock and roll and like Led Zeppelin and everything else. But my, uh, my guitar teacher, he had a background in education and he said, we'll get to Zeppelin, but you don't get Zeppelin until you understand the Beatles. Um, and I think the first songs I ever learned were just all the songs off of, uh, what was the record? Um, Please Please Me, I think was the, the Beatles record. And, um, and I, I just, I don't know, I, I fell in love with, with the guitar playing on that record and it was dead simple, right? But it, it was the simplicity, I think, that really spoke to me because it, I wanted to just tread and like, you know, play guitar solos left, right and center. But it was something just so beautiful about really simplistic melodies, really simplistic chords. And, and I found that like, it just, it spoke to me as a, as a, a young budding guitar player as I don't need to be fancy to be a good guitar player. I just need to understand the basics because it was obvious to me that, and I was told at the time as well, you know, that, you know, George Harrison understood the basics. And I think, you know, that's why he was always my, my favorite Beatle. All right. Uh, Brock, what about you? Uh, favorite Beatle is Paul McCartney. Yeah. Why is that? Um, what, one of my, I guess like quick pastimes is like, I, I love like the history of like famous records, like at least, especially now on Wikipedia, like used to be at to like wait for VH1 behind the music to like see all this, but now Wikipedia and typically these classic albums will have like dense um, anecdotes and, and stories of how it all came together. And in lately, so that coupled with Ian and I's recent kick of like, just trying to learn songwriting on, on YouTube and, and, you know, like videos that will like explain a song everyone always looks to the Beatles and all of this is to say that I've discovered that Paul McCartney ha- was like the, the music guy of the Beatles. Like he was really like the, the, the creative um, or at least could, uh, could um, re- relay the information on, on a theoretical level. But I mean, he, he devised the fictional band for Sergeant Pepper, you know, he, mm-hmm. so he, he was kind of like, like the, that wacky guys, we should do this. We, we should make a movie, you know, and, and, <laughs> and just, and that speaks to me. I don't know why. So he was also in Destiny, was he? Yeah, he, he was. He he was hired by the um, the composer and and Paul McCartney's like he he basically had a blank check to experiment with anything that he wanted. So and I'm sure Paul was like, oh, I've never done the video game. So <laughs> <laughs> very cool. I did not know that. Yeah. So there you go, listeners to the Stewie Tune Show learned something new right there. Um, what's the best live show you've ever attended or seen? So Ian, we'll go back to you. Best live show. I mean, kind of continuing down that whole Led Zeppelin thing. Um, it's a toss up. So I, I saw, um, I must've been 13 years old and I saw Robert Plant and the strange sensations, I think is what they were called. And so he, he had, I mean, he had his own record as well, but he reimagined all these like Led Zeppelin songs. And, uh, you know, I, I remember he had like a, must've been a 20 minute rendition of black dog. And it had this really Eastern influenced like feel to it. And there, there's like a sitar solo. And, and so that was amazing. Um, and it left a, a huge impression on me um as a as a young kid and then i think the the other equal experience would be um i saw i was front row for a band called uh, them crooked vultures which had john paul jones of led zeppelin um on bass it had josh homme from queens of the stone age on vocals and then it had dave grohl from the foo fighters and nirvana on drums so and and they played their record front to back um and they jammed it was like you know i think the record was like a 50 minute record and it was like a two and a half hour concert because they just they riffed on everything and they improvised and and i mean so getting to see 
you know, one, in my opinion, one of the greatest rock singers of all time. And then getting to see now who are arguably three of the greatest other rock and rollers of all time, uh, you know, in concerts, I think both of those have just had huge effects on me as a, as a fan of music and as a creator and, and performer as well. Excellent. Brock, what about you? So there's this band that no one really knows, but they're, they're called Coheed and Cambria. They're basically like a modern rush. Um, with sci-fi concept albums and all and they did this like four night stint in new york city where they played their albums front to back um for it was the first time they had done it and uh yeah as a as a fan you know i didn't know what to expect but the the rooms were sold out every night again this is a band that would die on radio by any other traditional music industry metric they would have never even left uh their, their garage and to see that this band was capable of selling out four nights in a row in New York city with, you know, primarily on music that never even gets played on radio. You know, like I, I formed my first band when I came home from that trip, I was like, this is so doable that, uh, and I, I, I thought it was all based on, yeah, going back to Ian's point of like, uh, like outsmarting the Beatles, you know, I was like, man, this here's a band that, you know, are probably, yeah, don't know their way around. Uh, I I don't even know what, but it was it, they they were, they were just so different than what constituted as successful popular music that I was like, you could do anything. Excellent. So for this next question, uh, Ian, we'll go back to you. You don't need to explain why if you don't want, just so you don't get in too much trouble. This can be uh, alive or dead, doesn't matter. But uh, most overrated performer. Most overrated performer. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Oh geez, there's. I'm like drawing a blank. You know, I I don't know. Um, come back to me. I need to like sort my brain out here for a second. My my ADHD is pinballing around the room. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll go. Okay, Brock. What about you? Um, I know this is heresy, but I'm going to say the Dave Matthews Band. Okay. I, and just to maybe buy Ian more time, I can quantify that a little bit more. But I just like I go into it trying to get it and and i don't get it like i i find that there's no hooks that that like grab me i'm sure they're you know geniuses at at the the music theory part but i can just listen to the police to to get that you know i i think yeah it's like i i think of dave matthews band and i think of just like frat college guys who like dared to stray away from top radio and be like yo i found this this like sick band and you know it's almost like fish or grateful dead or something but somehow dave matthews band have convinced people that they're the uh they're that band so i don't i'm probably gonna get my ass kicked for saying that but uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right but that, yeah awesome. you know th- i mean th- this also might be heresy i mean i i i'd I love him as a as an artist but i think as a performer uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna get it for this one but i i, I honestly i think eric clapton might be one of the most overrated yeah yeah you're gonna get I, it for I, Bro- sure brock's brock's jaws hit the floor here <laughs> i i think he's a great guitar player but i i remember like you know watching a lot of his videos when i was younger and and just like i like i get it like you're great at guitar like i get it 
<laughs> and and there's a whole other bunch of guys that might fall into that zone. I mean, you know, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai for all the great things that they did, like or like Ingvi Malmsteen. You know, like great, you're all great guitar players, but like I, I want something more. And I, I you know, Clapton as an artist, yeah, like great artist. But I always found like I wanted more when I would see his performers performances. All right, interesting answers, guys. Uh, what about uh, this next question? Uh, who's the most underappreciated or unknown performer th- that you think everybody should know about? So do you want to take that first, Ian? Or? Yeah, okay, so I, and now talking about other guitar players, I'll, I'll go with underappreciated as opposed to maybe unknown. Um, I, th- this is going to sound like he's very appreciated, but I always found Brian May was underappreciated as a guitar player. Um, I always not found him. more, though. Well, not... <laughs> Well, I, and I think recently he was like, he would, he was just named like, you yeah. know, number one or something. But for years, like growing up with like, a, a, like in, in circles of guitar players, they'd be like, I want to be like Hendrix or I want to be Jimmy Page, you know, and no one ever was saying, I, I want to be Brian May of Queen, you know, like I always found like Queen were a band that for everything they did, like it was always, oh, I want to be Zeppelin. Oh, I, I want to be the Rolling Stones. It was, it was never, oh, I want to play in a band like Queen. Um, and so again, like one of the biggest rock bands on earth, but I always found in comparison to like their peers, they were definitely underappreciated, especially yeah. for the body of work that they delivered. So vast, so different, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'll be uh, the first to admit that took me by surprise when that survey came out and uh, he was named uh, number yeah. one. Wow. That was uh, yeah. something else. All right, Brock, what about you? Uh, for me, it's, um, it's uh, Andy Summers from the police. Again, going on Ian's thing of like, not, not unknown, but underappreciated because when you're in a band with like, I mean, every drummer cites Stuart Copeland, obviously. Um, Sting is, is just a, a musical genius as Ian and I had to discover playing in a, a police tribute band briefly. And then there's Andy Summers, you know, he, he's like very similar points to Ian where he's not the fastest, he's not the flashiest. He just kind of had to fit in between the two egos of the other two as best he could and it was even amazing to me like having to like learn the material some of his chords that were jazzy were almost like lazy he would do like these very like like a one finger chord and it's like oh it's an a6 just in the way that guitar was like tuned but you know he was almost (laughs) like throw a bunch of effects on it hit a note and it and it fit but it's like how, how do you fit in between like an unstoppable force and an immovable object like the the other two members of that band but yeah i I always like having to to learn that material it made me be like man this guy is like actually an incredibly affluent guitar player but um just probably inhibited by the uh the the grand design of sting and Stuart copeland so i gotta tell you my brother-in-law is a guitar collector and he his guitar collection looks like a museum i mean there's probably well over 100 now it's amazing but uh, i got to play one of uh, andy summer's guitars a few years ago so that was kind of cool that's was, amazing. Yeah, That's it was inc- his collection is unbelievable. Like it's wild. Uh, okay, last question on the quiz here. So, if you could have a dinner party and invite any one musician, or we'll say band, over for dinner, who would it be? Like, what? Why would you want them over? So, Ian, do you want to start that one? Or yeah, um, I mean, maybe maybe a weird one, but uh, or or maybe obvious. I don't know, but Robert Johnson, I think I'd have to invite oh. to my dinner party. So, you know, the, the, the modern founder of, I mean, rock and roll, blues, 
you know, be, and, and, and I think only because there's so little of him on record, no one really knows what happened, mm-hmm. you know, to him. I mean, you know, I, I know, I'm, I think it was like a bar fight or something that he, he ended up dying in, but it was like, you know, I, I, I think I would just want to sit across from the table and be like, all right. Did you do it? Did you did you sell your soul to the devil? Like, <laughs> did, like did did you do it? Yeah, that's such you a know? great story. Oh, oh yeah, Un- unbelievable, right? But like, I think I'd get this like eerie, you know, response of, ah, well, you know, like like he just like look at you in the eye as he tells you that story, and I think like like just that moment alone, I think would just give me the 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 creeps, yes or no, right? Excellent. All right, Brock. What about you? Who's coming to your dinner party? Um. You know, I think someone like Elvis would have been cool to hang out with, you know? I mean, I mean, first of all, it'd be easy to feed him because, you know, peanut butter sandwiches are like my, that, that's like the staple <laughs> of the tour diet. But um, yeah, I mean, th- th- that would be a great dinner guest. And Ian mentioned it with um, them crooked vultures earlier, but I guess like Josh Homme, the singer for Queens of the Stone Age, he's kind of like a, like a ginger Elvis. So, and, and he's played with, members of Led Zeppelin, members of Nirvana, members of the Stooges. So in that sense, yeah, he, he would know, he would have crazy stories um, from, a, from a musician's perspective because just he's just such a prolific collaborator. But yeah, I think an, an Elvis type guest would be, would be amazing. You know, you're speaking of the peanut butter sandwiches and I remember reading somewhere that he used to use uh, in the, the frying pan, like a pound of butter for one sandwich. Like it was wild. All right. Thanks for answering the quiz, guys. Those are great answers. That just reveals so much about a person when you answer those type of questions, you know. Um, So I've been chatting with Brock Tinsley and Ian Nichols today uh, from Double Experience. And guys, I really want to thank you for this. Uh, You've gone above and beyond today to take time uh, talking with me. And uh, it's been great talking to you. So uh, we'll end the interview here. I'm going to hit record and stop recording and then we can just... uh, chat after it's done so thanks so much guys i'm much appreciated so that was my talk with brock and ian from double experience as you uh, no doubt noticed during the interview they're great guys always approachable they love what they're doing Um, And the other thing is they have really, really uh, worked hard at their craft and uh, listened to their music, buy their album. Uh, You won't be disappointed. I'm so impressed every time I hear these guys play. I'm grateful to Brock and Ian for being my very first guests on the new format of the Stewie Tune show. And I'd also like to thank my good friend and musical partner, Rick Denis, for providing the music for today's episode. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're enjoying the show, and please follow me on social media as well. If you know someone who you think might enjoy this show, please spread the word. That really helps independent podcasters like me reach a wider audience. In the meantime, stay safe, be well, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Stewie Tune Show. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to click subscribe.